<laughs> oh, I love that clip. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you today. My name is Nancy, and uh, um, gosh, do you love movies? I love movies, and I love this one. I was so glad this was my homework. I got to go to the movies for my homework, and, and I said, oh, I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, so that's what I'm, I'm speaking on today. But we are in the midst of our a message series, like Pastor Wayne said, uh, called God in the Movies. And so each week we're going to talk a little bit about one of the recent movies that is out or um, uh, coming out very soon. Now, how many of you saw Wonder Woman? Yeah, a lot of people, right? It was a great movie, right? This was a very, a very anticipated, much anticipated movie, right? Because it was actually the first superhero, uh, woman, woman superhero movie in over 10 years, right? And it was the first superhero movie directed by a woman. So that was a first. That was exciting. And it had the, actually the largest opening weekend for a woman director with over $100 million dollars. I received that first three days, and that was actually the budget uh, uh, about the budget of the movie as well. So, uh, a lot of big firsts, a lot of people excited about this movie. Um, it was also the most successful DC movie without Superman or Batman. <laughs> so, uh, I love the movies, and I thought this was a, a great movie. But I love movies, especially I especially love superhero movies. I have to say. But movies, um, what's, what's cool about them is that they often uh, reflect a lot of our values, right? What's going on in our society, our culture, and our world at large. And especially, I think, today with all the chaos in the world, all the sometimes the abuse of power, the complications of uh, war, economics, and even morality, don't you ever feel sometimes that we could use a good superhero right about now, right? Someone to stop the bad guys, to right what's wrong, and in the case of Wonder Woman, to embody love, justice, kindness, and independent thinking. That's according to director Patty Jenkins. But in an interview with Patty Jenkins, uh, she said that the key to her vision for Wonder Woman was when she asked herself this question, what is it to be a hero? What does it mean to be a hero? Well, what does it mean to be a superhero? First of all, what do you need? You need superpowers, that's right. You need superpowers, or at least super gadgets, right? <laughs> like Batman, Iron Man, um, or a super weapon like Thor, right? Um, you also need a good costume, right? You got to have a villain. But I think most of all, what you need, above all else, is a calling to save the world, right? Like Wonder Woman's, one of her great lines is, she says, if no one else will defend the world, then I must Right? There's a willingness to sacrifice and give of themselves for the sake of others. It's great to, to watch a movie like Wonder Woman, but what does it mean for us today? What does it mean in real life to be a hero? Are heroes just for um, the chosen few, or, or is everyone called to be a hero? And what does God say about this, all of this in the movies? Well, today I want to propose to you this that we all have the ability to be a hero, right? Each of us can be a hero to someone. And if you're a cross follower today, not only can you be a hero, but I believe that God calls us to be a hero to someone. So this morning, I want us to look at a story in the Bible of a real-life yet very unlikely hero whose name was Hadassah. Hadassah. Well, Hadassah was a young woman who lived in the Persian Empire during the 5th century BC. 
Unlike Wonder Woman, she had no superpowers, she was not a princess, and she actually wasn't even very brave. But yet she became a hero who risked her life and saved her people, about 30,000 of them, from a terrible genocide. And you might know her by her other name, the name of Esther. And there are two books in the Bible named after women, and that is one of them. So in your, in your program today, I've included a little outline because we're going to go through a lot of text uh, in this book of Esther because it's just one huge story. But I'm going to just pull out some key, um, key passages for us to look at. But we're going to look at the question of what does it mean to be a hero? What does it mean to be a hero? And I think in the story of Esther, Esther shows us, first of all, that heroes are really just ordinary people, ordinary people who choose to do something extraordinary. So we begin reading here in chapter 2. So if your Bibles, if you have Bibles, you can follow along your Bibles as well. If not, it's in the outline. And it says there in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried off into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive when Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with Jehoiakim. Now Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought into the citadel of Susa, and Esther was also taken to the king's palace. So in the beginning of Esther's story, we meet Mordecai, and he's a Jew, and his family had been carried off or deported along with many other Jews after they were defeated first by the Syrians and then by the Babylonians, and they were, they were settled in the southern area of um, the land in what we would call modern-day um, Iraq, about 1,500 miles away from uh, Israel. And now they were all under Persian rule now. And recently, the Persian queen Vashti, she had displeased the king Xerxes. So Xerxes had banished her, and so now he was looking for a new queen. So he holds a beauty contest, and his soldiers gathers all the young women from around the country, all the most beautiful women they could find, and they bring them into uh, the palace to see who would please the king. And so Esther is a young cousin of Mordecai. She was orphaned. So, that, so he adopted her. And it says that she had a lovely figure and was beautiful, so she was also taken into the king's palace to be presented to the king. Now, that's kind of the PG version of the story, right? <laughs> now, the real story was that Esther was probably taken by force. She probably didn't have a choice, right? She was poor and probably just uh, treated like a slave uh, the whims of the king. And after she had one night, one night with the king, she had a year to kind of get ready, but she has one night with the king, and then she either will become queen or she's going to be forced to live out the rest of her life in a section of the palace as part of the king's harem. harem. So here she'll live in luxury, but she'll still virtually be a prisoner, right? Unable to have a family of her own, even to see her father Mordecai. But we go on and read here in, chapter, in verse 17. It says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. 
But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So Esther wins the favor of the king, and he makes her queen, right? But Mordecai is worried about her safety, and he, he tells her to keep her identity as a Jew secret. Now, he constantly hangs out at the king's gate in the courtyard below Esther's room in order kind of to check on her regularly to see if she's okay. Maybe he knew that if people found out that she was a Jew, that uh, people would be prejudiced against her. Maybe she would be mistreated. Maybe she would be disqualified from, from the harem. She would de be deposed as queen. Um, we're not sure. But it seems that the Jews were not very popular people among the Persians. Um, they had a different traditions. They worshipped a different god. And also the king was a little bit of a loose cannon, right? He was easily angered. You know, he got rid of his previous queen, so who knows what he would do. Well, we go on in the story, and like every movie, there is a good villain. So the villain of Esther's story is named Haman. So in chapter 3, verse 1, we read this. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, but the king, uh, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So now we meet Haman, right? He's this ambitious royal official, but the king really likes him and honors him. And he tells everybody to bow down to Haman whenever he comes into the city, whenever he's walking on the street with his entourage. There's only one problem. Mordecai will not bow down to Haman. Now, the Bible doesn't really explain why Mordecai refuses to bow down. Some, some, uh, it seems like it has something to do with the fact that he's a Jew. Maybe Haman hates or persecutes the Jew. He's called the enemy of the Jews later in verse 10. Maybe Mordecai knows that he's a proud and evil man, and so he, he doesn't want to honor him. But whatever the case is, Haman becomes infuriated, and he sets out to destroy not just Mordecai, but all of the Jews. So here in, in verse 8 we read, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. So here's Haman, and you get a picture of the kind of person he is because he sort of paints this false picture of the Jews, right? He presents them as rebellious, disobedient to the king. They're not obeying the laws. They are a threat to the kingdom. So he proposes genocide, the annihilation and destruction of all of God's people. 
Haman is manipulating the king, but he even offers to pay for this genocide. 10,000 talents. Now, talent is not an ability. A talent is 75 pounds of silver. Okay, that's about 75% of me silver, <laughs> right? And I kind of looked it up on the internet. That it's a, So 10,000 talents is about 750,000 pounds of silver, uh, roughly worth about $165 million today. So I said, that's roughly the net worth of Miley Cyrus, okay? <laughs> net worth of Miley Cyrus, but only half of the net worth of Lady Gaga and only a quarter net worth of Bono. Okay, that I reach all the generations there. So, so Haman is a very rich man, right? Rich as well as powerful. But when Mordecai hears the edict to kill all the Jews, he rips his clothes in mourning, and he sends a message to Esther, asking her, pleading with her, you have to go to the king. You have to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for the salvation of your people. But Esther says, no. Esther's afraid. And this is what she says in chapter 4, verse 11. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the royal scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So there's 30 days, right? So she is the queen, but the king has basically not summoned her, not been with her for 30 days. So she's thinking, have I fallen from grace? Has the king found another woman that he loves more and wants to be with? Is the king displeased with me? So she thinks, you know, I don't know what's going to happen if I go before the king. He may not want to spare my life. So when Esther's words are reported to Mordecai, it says he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. All right, so here's Esther. She's queen but she really doesn't have a lot of power, right? She's essentially still a slave at the, under the beck and call and the whim of the king. She didn't even know what's going on until Mordecai told her. But when Mordecai urges her to go to the king, she says, I can't. See, there's a law that forbids anyone from coming uninvited into the king's presence under penalty of death. It's too risky. He's too impulsive. She's paralyzed, and her thoughts are, you know, I'm just going to hide in this castle and lay low, and she's probably hoping the whole thing will blow over, or somehow her life will be spared. Now, can you relate to Esther? Right? I know I can. Have you ever been faced with um, having to risk your own safety, your own comfort for the sake of someone else? Sometimes we, we know what's going on in the world. We hear about Christians that are persecuted and lose their lives. We hear about people being killed on the street for no good reason. We hear about war, hunger, homelessness. But sometimes it's easier just to switch the channel, isn't it? It's easier just to 
to, to switch the internet site that we're looking at. And we remain in the comfort of our own lives, hoping someone else will take care of the problem. In the movie Wonder Woman, at the start of the movie, we're introduced to Diana, and she's the daughter of the queen of the Amazons. Now, the Amazons is a race of women warriors created by the Greek god Zeus to protect humankind. But according to the queen, she says that the Amazons instead were betrayed, they were killed, they were enslaved by the very people they were trying to protect. So they sort of hunkered down in, in this place called Paradise Island, in their idyllic world of Themyscira, all you know, far away and hidden from the concerns and the chaos of the world of men. But then this rogue pilot named Steve Trevor comes crashing down and lands into the world with news that there is a war going on, right? There's a war going on, and millions of people are going to die. And so he asked the queen, and he asked Diana for help. But the queen says no. She says no. Remember what happened last time we tried to help people. Remember that these people, have, we have nothing to do with them. And it's too costly. And she refuses to risk the lives of her people and the life of her daughter, Diana, for the sake of others. Sometimes it's easier to hide, isn't it, than to risk losing what's most precious to us. We even don't want to risk the people that we care about for them to have uh, pain or for them to have losses. But Steve Trevor, he urges Diana not to close her eyes to the needs of the world. And he, and he says, and this, I think this is the best quote in the movie, he says, if you see something wrong happening in the world, you can either do nothing or you can do something. And I already tried nothing. Right? You can either do nothing or you can do something. So Diana decides to leave her family on Paradise Island, risk her life, and to help Steve stop the war. Diana says, I cannot stand by while innocent lives are lost. I must fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. And this is the moment in the movie that Diana becomes Wonder Woman, right? When Diana becomes a hero. Now, in the story of Esther, the Jews are also faced with the merciless killing of the men, women, and children in their own people, and they are also in need of a hero. So Mordecai urges Esther not to hide in her palace, hoping to save herself, but to do something to save her people. Now, Esther isn't Wonder Woman, right? She doesn't have much power, but she does have one thing, access to the king, right? She's got one weapon, she's got one strength, and that is access to the king, and she decides to use it. And that's when Esther also becomes a hero. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 12, it says that Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Esther becomes a hero she risks her life with the knowledge that perhaps she has come to become queen for such a time as this. You see, 
What we learn from the story of Esther is that heroes are just ordinary people. Heroes are just ordinary people who choose to do something extraordinary. They use whatever they have been given for the sake of others, and they fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Esther uses her favor with a powerful king to fight for her people, and ultimately, she saves them. Now, there's a lot to this story. I encourage you to read it. This is one of the first books I gave to my niece to read when she was young, and she was so excited she wanted to read more of the Bible um, because it's just a short book. But we see different things that happen that allow Esther to persuade the king to spare her people. And then the king issues a new verdict. And this is what we read in, in chapter 4, verse 5. It says, The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their children. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebration. Because what we learn is that the Persian kings, once they... Um, uh, create an edict, they can't revoke that edict. But what he does is he creates a second edict. And the second edict basically enables the Jewish people, these conquered people, the right to bear arms, right? So the Jews at that time were probably like other conquered people. They had, you know, they couldn't bear any arms. They, they, were, they couldn't have any weapons. They were basically powerless and at the mercy of anyone who chose to abuse them or take advantage of them. And so here they are given the ability to protect themselves. They are given power. Now, this is a great story. And they've actually made it into a movie a couple of times. But the story of Esther teaches us several things about what it means to be a hero. That they're just ordinary people that do something extraordinary, that they give of themselves to fight for those who cannot fight themselves. And finally, that heroes encourage others to be heroes too. Heroes encourage others to be heroes too. Because as I was reading this, you know, Esther becomes a hero in this story, but there's actually another hero, right? There's another hero in the story, and he's Mordecai. Because Mordecai is the one person who stands up against evil Haman. He doesn't know. We don't know if, if Haman continued on. We don't know what kind of evil he would have done, how many more people would have suffered and died. So Haman stands up to him, and he uses his influence with a very fearful Queen Esther to encourage her to fight for her, his, for her people as he himself was doing. I love this word, encourage. It literally means to put courage in to someone else. Heroes encourage other people to be heroes too. Even in the story of Wonder Woman, I think, you know, Wonder Woman, she's powerful, she's immortal, the real hero to me is Steve Trevor, right? Steve Trevor, he's just an ordinary foot soldier. He has no superpowers. He is very vulnerable to getting killed, but he risks his life too to save many, many people in this war. And most of all, he encourages Diana to become Wonder Woman and join the fight as he has already leaped into you see, heroes like Mortimer, Mordecai and Steve Trevor are just ordinary people who encourage others to be heroes too. Well, here at Lighthouse, 
Um, I don't know if you know this, but we have a lot of heroes. We have a lot of heroes right here in our midst. And, and as one of the pastors here at Lysa, I get to hear a lot of these hero-like stories, these amazing stories that, that, um, that are happening within our midst. And so I'm going to ask uh, Evco to come up, and she's going to share a little bit about what happened with her uh, this past year. Thanks, Ev. Let's give Ev a round of applause when she comes. <laughs> you now I'm really embarrassed because I didn't know what the message was about. <laughs> and, well, I feel like I'm conned. But, but I guess the point is I don't, I don't feel like a hero. I just did something. And I think that's the whole point. Uh, earlier this year, I was troubled by um, what the country was becoming, you know, uh, toward their attitude toward immigrants. And I asked God, you know, it was nagging me. I would read emails about Trump. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and it would just get to me. And, and, uh, and I said, what can I do about this situation? And uh, I remember a Sunday morning, Pastor uh, Nancy gave a message. And it says, what bothers you? What bothers you? Because maybe what keeps bothering you is God's way of saying that you need to do something. And then she asked in her message, she said, what's in your hand? What do you have to offer? And I, I have never taught two, uh, I have never taught two or three-year-olds. And all I did was, I'm a grandmother, that's it. And I did teach upper grades, but the thing was, um, I just had this, a need to do something to help. And I'm, I guess the thing was that I realized that, I, that a lot of these immigrant families were coming into our schools without knowing language or letters or anything, so they would be at a disadvantage. And I thought, what, what can I, I do? I shared this idea with Christine. And I think one of the things I want to say about heroes is, you know, we're just ordinary people, and they're people that come alongside and help us. Like I, Jen Shaw, uh, Jen, um, Jenny um, Chung and Christine, there were a lot of people who came by and helped my husband. And so actually they all came alongside and Christine came and she um, encouraged me and her supported me and she actually told me, did you know there's a group at, uh, a play group at Phantom Lake that actually uh, has these kids? And so she actually took registration forms to them and I and, and asked them to go home Wednesday morning from 10 to 11. We only expect it six to eight. And we ended up with about 20. And the thing was, 20, um, um, about 15 of them were of Hindu and East Indian, a Hindu faith and East Indian. We did not know that. And they came and they started coming. And um, when I started this uh, reading group, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was share you know, Christ's story. So we used uh, Bible stories to share how to, you know, sounds, letter sounds, and, and things like that. And one of the things we try to teach them that God loves them, God cares for them, and God hears them. And uh, I remember thinking when we did this, I was really afraid. And I was, uh, I made many mistakes. And I think uh, one of the, my favorite stories about the little boy and the two fish and Father's bread, that we were like him because uh, the boy gave Jesus his fish and his loaves, not knowing what he was going to do. And all he did was give what he had. And I think in a way, God is like that. Uh, we give him what we have, our fears, 
our, you know, our concerns, our inadequacies, and he always makes it enough. He makes it more than enough. And so uh, to do his work, uh, to uh, multiply, and to give him glory. And that's what we want to do, is just to give him glory. And so, anyways, the end of this is, okay, here's my commercial. Okay, <laughs> okay some of the women at the end of June asked if they could bring friends. So if everybody comes and they bring their friends, they're gonna be more kids. And so I would, you know, please prayerfully consider uh, maybe serving, helping us one hour on Wednesday from 10 to 11. That would be great. So thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Ev. I know she's, I knew she'd be embarrassed if we called her a hero, but everybody is a hero today, Ev. We're all called to be heroes, and everyone can be a hero to someone. There's something else. Um, I wanted to share, and I noticed in this book of Esther, there's one more hero that we haven't talked about. And in fact, he's a superhero, really, of the story. And that person is God. See, throughout the book of Esther, we never see the name of God in this book. Even though he's a God of the Jews, even though he's going to save his people, we never hear, see his name. He's like this invisible hero at work behind the scenes. But we see that it's through the series of circumstances, coincidences, that the Jews were really set up to be saved. First, there's Queen Vashti, who's deposed and, and creates an opening for a new queen. Then Esther comes in, and among all the women in the nation, she alone is chosen to be queen. And that's very unusual at that time, because usually the queens were chosen from among um, the royal uh, or the, the noble um, families, but she was just a poor um, peasant. We also see that Mordecai, one day when he was at the king's gate waiting for Esther, he's in the right place in the right time to hear about an, assassin attempt, an assassination attempt on the king's life. And so he tells Esther, who tells the king, and the king's life is spared. Then one day, on the very day that Haman is, going, is planning to execute Mordecai, the king has insomnia the night before. He, is, he can't sleep, and he's so you know, desperate that he brings out the history books. You ever been like that? You can't sleep, so you read a very boring book. And so he reads his own history records so, so that um, uh, he finds out that he reads about Mordecai discovering this assassination attempt on his life five years earlier, and he realized he had never done anything to honor Mordecai. So on the same day that Haman is trying to kill Mordecai, the king already wants to honor him. All this happens behind the scenes. In, in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 14, when Mordecai tells Esther that even if she doesn't join in the fight, relief and deliverance for the Jew will still arise from another place. Mordecai knows that God, God is still his hero. God is still at work on their behalf, that no matter what, God will still deliver them. And finally, when Esther tells Mordecai that she's going to go to the king, she calls to him and says, gather all the Jews together and fast for me. And this fasting implies praying and asking God for help. So you see, God is really the ultimate 
superhero in Esther's story. He is at work to protect and to save them, and he calls each of us to join him in being a hero. So my question today is, how might God be calling you to be a hero today? What need do you see around you? What ability do you have to meet that need? How can you encourage someone else to be a hero too? That's what I love about this this story um, of the Wednesday morning group that Ev shared. That, like she said, she's just an ordinary person, but she saw a need, something bothered her about the, the plight of the immigrants in our country and what was happening. And, and she decided to do something. And it may seem something small, but it made a huge difference in people's lives. And she had someone to encourage her. So maybe in your life, what do you see? What needs do you see? Maybe there's a youth that you know about who needs a mentor. Maybe someone's safe to talk to. Maybe there's an elderly neighbor who, who's lonely and who could use a visit. Maybe there's someone who's sick that needs a meal. Every one of us can be a hero to someone. Sometimes we are just in the right place at the right time. We have the right ability, resource to do something positive in someone else's life. But if you have Jesus in your life, if you have God as your superhero in your life, he's there not just to encourage you, but to, to provide a way for you to be a blessing to others. He will do the heavy lifting. See, we may not all have superpowers, but we have, we have God in our lives. He will enable us to do things we could never do on our own. So I'm going to close just with one more story of one more uh, hero and uh, I'm going to read this one for you. But many of you know uh, Norman Cheryl Chang here at Lighthouse. I'm not, try- not trying to embarrass everybody, but th- these are stories that only a few of us sometimes know, and I think it's good to give glory uh, to God. But about five years ago, Norm's health was suffering because of diabetes and kidney failure. And he was going to dialysis three times a week, and it was exhausting. Sitting in a chair for five hours felt like running a marathon every two days. Norm was put on the wait list to have a kidney transplant, but after three years and the testing of four potential donors, he was still waiting. Another member of our church, um, Jackie Siochi, she learned about Norm's need for a kidney, and she wanted to get tested to see if she would be a match. But her husband, Tavi, was very much opposed. He was afraid of what might happen to Jackie, especially because they had two young children still at home. But suddenly, a few months later at church, Tavi was thinking about Norm, and all of a sudden he felt this heavy weight on his heart. And he knew it was God speaking to him about being a kidney donor himself. Well, to Jackie's amazement, Tavi said that he felt led to get tested and to see if he would be a match for Norm. He had had some previous health issues and thought he would probably not be accepted, but he could not shake the feeling that he needed to at least try, at least to do something. So Tavi approached Norm after worship service and got the information he needed, and both he and Jackie got tested. Well, Jackie was not a match, but Tavi was. In fact, after going through rigorous testing, including four to five blood tests, a full physical, a brain scan, and a CAT scan, 
the doctors found that Toby was almost a perfect match for Norm. Despite the fact that Norm was Chinese-American and Tavi was Filipino-Brazilian, despite the fact that Tavi was a lot younger than Norm <laughs> and about eight inches shorter, <laughs> but when Tavi was warned by a neighbor and he, even his own parents not to do it, Tavi did not waver in his decision. The Lord had put it on his heart to donate his kidney, and he felt an amazing peace and certainty about it. So about four years ago, on June 25th, 2013, Norm received Tavi's kidney and a new life. And recently, Norm said this to me. He said, Tavi changed my life and Cheryl's life. He didn't just affect me, but my family and everyone close to me. What he did enabled me to be with my grandkids. Instead of spending hours in a dialysis chair, I've been able to travel, taking trips with my family and friends. Norm said, I was hoping because Tavi was Filipino-Brazilian that I'd finally get some dance rhythm. <laughs> but that did not happen. It's okay, though, because through it all, I gained a new brother. See, I believe God calls all of us to be like Tavi, like Ev and Christine, like Esther and Diana. He calls all of us to leave the safety of our comfort zone and to, to reach out to help those who are hurting. Maybe for some of us it means going on the Cambodia medical mission team. Maybe it means reaching out to a family, an unresourced family or a single parent family here in Lake Hills. God can use each of us if we'll let him to be a hero to someone. Will you just pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for these testimonies, Lord. These testimonies to, to you, to, to your power at work in our lives, to the love of Jesus that lives in our hearts. We thank you that it is because of you, Lord, because of your love for us, that we learn how to love others. Lord, even this morning, some of us are here, and we see a need, but it's, it's going to be costly for us to do something about that need. Some of us are scared. Some of us don't know what we can do. Some of us don't know what we can offer. And so, Lord, this morning, may we remember that you are with us, that you are for us, that we can call upon you, we can call upon the name of Jesus whenever we are afraid, whenever we need courage. And you will come and help us and fill us with your spirit and you will give us whatever we need, Lord, to be heroes in your name. So we thank you. We thank you for that this morning, Lord. Keep raising us up. Keep challenging us. Keep giving us eyes to see what you see. May we be more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>